everyone watching, listening. Good morning from still from North Carolina and welcome back to the Free Radical Podcast, episode number seven. And this is your host, Swami Patmanava. I'm here today very, very happy to be in the company of a very dear friend, uh, sister, and I will say mastermind behind the whole concept of radical personalism, Bhakti Rasa Dasi. So Bhakti Rasa, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. So I'll share a few words from Bhakti Rasa's bio for us to have an idea who our guest is. So Bhakti Rasa met the devotees in 1981 while studying individual and family studies at Penn State University. Over the next 40 years, she participated in numerous temple projects and communities. Currently, <clears throat> she lives at Ananda Ashram in North Carolina with Sumati Dasi and her two cows, Bimala and Taruni. While engaged with other kindred spirits in different services to the Gaudiya community, such as spiritual mentorship, web design, and book publishing. So I'll be sharing briefly the contact of Bhakti Rasa that we'll also share at the end in case someone may be interested in getting in touch with her. So for those who are only hearing, <clears throat> listening, the mail is bhaktirasa.scs um, at gmail.com. So a few words in my particular case of how I got to meet Bhakti Rasa. Um, I think I, I know her for the last probably six years. <clears throat> and I met her first time along with her late husband and dear friend Dulal Chandra Prabhu as well. Uh, well, in time, the connection, the relationship uh, unfolded by Krishna's arrangement in a very unique direction. So everything very naturally, organically especially, I will say, during the last year or so. Uh, and also, of course, she has been very instrumental in helping me, not only with my first book that was published last year, but very especially with this second book, Radical Personalism. Uh, and to be honest, the very term Radical Personalism, although in time I got to know that other devotees were also using it without me knowing that, uh, the very term radical personalism came to my awareness by Bhakti Rasa, who one day dared to call me a radical personalist, <laughs> uh, a term that I don't think I deserve, nor, but I, I, I feel tempted to honor that. You know, I really feel committed to live up to, to the implications of that, to the point of ending up writing a whole book about that. <laughs> so anyhow, Bhakti Rasa, to begin with, I don't know if you would like to to share with us uh, a few words of what radical personalism means to you. Hmm? Sure. Um, of course, the, the def my definition came, keeps changing and evolving, and I hope it continues to get to get deeper. Um, and it it is interesting. I I did I didn't know of the, of the term. Um, outside of, you know, prior to needing a term to describe you in something mm. that I was doing. It's not that it was, was something in my psyche. It's just that um, I couldn't find any other words really to, that would, could embody um, 
the way you walk in the world. So it's, it's kind of like that to me. It is the way we walk in the world, the way we flesh out our, um, our potential to love really. Mm. And it's about um, being as, as fully present as, as we can be um, with each other, with ourselves, and in, in kind of our love journey and in, in the evolution of, of love. Hmm. So that's um, what it's meaning to, to, me, to me now, fleshing out that the actualized embodiment of our spiritual capacity hmm. to love. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and, and I, appreciate, I appreciate that you began. What's that sound? I have no idea. Okay, it's over. <laughs> but there was a very interesting sound there. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate that you began your your description of it, like saying, okay, the definition is constantly changing, <laughs> which is, again, a very crucial implication of what radical personalism is, is actually about. You no, know, it's not one... Because people tend to ask, okay, what's radical personalism? Give me the definition and kind of, so we put it in a box and we already know what it is. But mm -hmm. it's very nature and definition is something you cannot define forever in one single way, but it's in constant unfolding. So thank you for that. And, and today's topic in connection to this, as you will see, since Bakhtaras has talked about ever-evolving patterns and being present and fleshing out the implications of being alive to be to begin with, what to speak of being a Gaudiya Vaishnav. So the title of today's podcast is Upgrading Our Traditions Past in the Present Moment. And we concluded with, with Bhaktarasa on, on this title and on this direction since, well, we've shared many hours, probably hundreds, talking uh, with her, different conversation, different topics, but specifically about this particular topic. Uh, and, the, and regarding the unique commitment that every generation, not only this particular generation, nor the past, nor the future, but every generation has the commitment, receives the commitment of honoring uh, our past legacy by upgrading that legacy, appreciating the legacy by upgrading it, by fleshing it out mm -hmm. and taking it to a whole new level. So <clears throat> as usual, since this podcast is an, a further ongoing unfolding of, of what I wrote in my book, Radical Personalism, we are basing our sessions uh, on different sections from the second part of the book, the manifesto in itself, which includes different radicals. So the radical corresponding to today's topic will be radical presence, um, so I will read that section for you, and we'll start to unfold that in a few minutes. So for those who have the printed edition, that's in page 80. So Radical Presence says like this. <clears throat> Present day, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is often misrepresented by the fantasy of traditionalism, an entrapment that ensues from using the glories of the past as an attempt to resist present change. This to toxic nostalgia and overattachment to ancient templates prevents us from properly tuning 
into the ethics of modernity and its challenges. And it promotes an arthritic sense of dismissal and spiritual obesity, where one's intelligence is no longer required in the here and now, since everything has apparently already been sorted out by our past heroes. To overcome this threatening tendency, we need to be courageous and dare to embrace our contemporary trials by thinking for ourselves and honoring our legacy with boldness, creativity, and vigor. We call this radical presence. Mm -hmm. So that's the section of the book that we will be trying to explore today. And it's in connection to this section that the title for today's podcast came, Upgrading Our Traditions Past in the Present Moment. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. any initial thoughts you may like to share with us to begin with, to kickstart? Yeah, there's, there is so much in what you just read. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the first thing that, that comes to mind is, is um, you know, we've heard so many times this phrase, time, place, and circumstance, mm -hmm. and, and how things need to be considered according to time, place, and circumstance. Mm -hmm. And we might become like, um, hear it so often that we don't even think that it's important. Um, but, and, and another side also is that, that we don't really believe it, but every, we, we take it into consider, consideration constantly, time, place, and circumstance. I was thinking, just driving here today, mm. um, we might go the same route that we might take the same path, but we're going to adjust how we drive according to the condition, whether it's raining or there's traffic or, I mean, it's just something that we do naturally. If we're present, um, we, we are constantly adapting to our environment, constantly adapting to the new things that are coming in. It's, it's totally natural. But when it comes to something like this, then it seems like really foreign and we shouldn't adapt and we shouldn't change and we shouldn't evolve. And we just kind of become like, you know, robotic and automatonic. And, um, and it's very un unnatural because we're constantly doing it uh, in a natural way, even like with cooking, right? So you're following a recipe even, but what if you don't have that ingredient? Or what Dr. Rad is a great cook, by the way. So she's walking her talk here. <laughs> or, or, a great uh, and a great driver as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, we're constantly adapting. So, mm. so why not in our, mm. in our approach to, to spirituality, which is something on the other side that is constantly changing? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a great point you made. You know, how much we, yeah. Yeah, we actually are embodying something in, in, in daily life, but but how in connection to the very thing that we should be embodying that the most, we are embodying that the least. So that's the irony of it all. No? So that's yeah, that's especially unbecoming. No, that I think now now that you say this, probably it comes to my awareness why I chose to include this particular theme in, in my ten my list of 10 points why to leave Gaudiya Vaishnavism in my book, which of course, for those who haven't read the book, I'm not promoting that people leave Gaudiya Vaishnavism. 
but I just mentioned 10 main, in my opinion, 10 main conditions that that may may make people wanting to leave it if they really see that that's what actual co-divisionism is. No, so I mentioned I remember toxic nostalgia for past mm -hmm. achievements and unwillingness to deal with the modern day's world's paradigm. Uh, so yeah, that's really unbecoming because that's totally contradictory to the very nature of of this of the essence of our of our own tradition, which, as you mentioned mandates or expects at least from us to become a an embodiment of this desha kala patra or time place circumstance I, I remember in my in my first book inherent or inherited i quoted in one point because i talked about this in one section of the book how we must become uh, like experts at dealing with time place and circumstance and and i there was one line from bhagavata when bishma was described as desha kala bivagavit hmm. or a knower an expert knower of time, place, and circumstance. And that was in the context, again, not only knowing how to drive, want to drive, what to cook, but how to conduct yourself in relationship to, to a reality that is, as you mentioned, ever, ever expanding, ever evolving. So therefore requires from us constant adaptation to, to, to that call. No? I, I think that's, that's because every, nothing is... As I like, I think I put that in my book, nothing is like a static relic, mm -hmm. you know, like a museum piece. Everything is a perpetual flow. As we talk, I, I remember last week, last weekend with Brinda Sundari, we are not only in relationship, but we are relationship. Mm -hmm. By our very constitution, we, God, everything is completely interrelated. So it's something is in constant relationship, means in constant flow and movement. And that has to do, to do with constant change and evolution that's the that's the fixed framework if there's one fixed framework it's everything is constantly evolving <laughs> and it's dynamic because it's evolving on on many dimensions we have the the absolute is evolving always mm -hmm. becoming more himself more themselves and and then the time in which you know we ourselves are are evolving and then the our environment is constantly changing it's mm -hmm. not where we live today, how we live today, with with what's available today, it's not what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's not just like going, one dimension is going forward, but you have all of these things constantly evolving. And, and that's where I think also Brenda Sundari was speaking about the liveness, staying on the on the live edge, that's the liveness is that the things in many different dimensions are are constantly evolving and and we need to pay you know not just need but we have the opportunity to pay attention to all of those mir miraculous things becoming hmm. and along along with ourselves and yeah each thing drawing drawing another thing into its own own becoming hmm. not that one thing changes and it doesn't impact the rest, but our, our environment is changing because we are changing and we're changing because the environment is changing and it's mm -hmm. all inter, like you said, interdependent and yeah, yeah. Interbe interbecoming. <laughs> Here now Rasa is asking if we can give examples of what specifically needs and should evolve. Uh, now Rasa, we are, 
warming up here, so we will request from you a little bit of patience, which is one of the main virtues, like waiting while trusting. So we are getting there, but first we are naturally came the topic of trying to make the point, the case for the need for uh, change and for the need of uh, evolving, and how that's a pattern of reality. Because if we don't get that clear, uh, that's that's the very, like Prabhupada will say, no? you have all these zeros. So many zeros is, is the same as one zero. If you put the one before, all the zeros acquire value. So the same way, if we don't get the point that everything by nature is in constant movement and evolution, we won't feel the need of changing anything. So I will say to point at which are the, change, the things that need to be changed, and we will, it's one part of the equation, but probably at this, in my opinion, at this particular current stage of our tradition, maybe it may not even be the main one. Probably the main one is to take some time to really process, ruminate on and digest about how the nature of reality is constant change and evolution and how we are expected to, to feed that. You know, as I was talking yesterday with one Franciscan non-theologian that invited me to her podcast and, and I was sharing with her how the very root of the word Brahman, which is a word for God, for the absolute in our tradition, comes from the Dhatu or the Sanskrit root brim, Brimhati, which means to evolve and to expand. So, so that's God. That's the reality of God. He's in constant evolution. So naturally, whatever is connected to him, which is everything, <laughs> will have that same pattern. No? In Darwinian terms, it will be, he will say, the survival of the fittest, which doesn't mean survival of the strongest or the most powerful or the one at the top of a hierarchical pyramid, but it's the survival, the one who the survival of those who have the greatest capacity for adaptation mm -hmm. and change. Mm -hmm. And having the capacity means that you are have the willingness for that already. So how much we have the willingness to to change, to evolve. And, and we will have a whole po separate podcast also on this topic with this particular person that invited me yesterday. So I, I don't want to go the whole podcast today on that, but but I think it's important to, to to remain open to this direction. In Latin, they will say mutatis mutandis, which means that that those things that can be changed should be changed. Mm -hmm. Or in other words, other way of putting those realities that are already changing should be acknowledged as, as, as such. Mm -hmm. So our lack of acknowledgement implies our lack of awareness. And our lack of awareness implies that we will conduct ourselves with those lackings in, on our on our back, so you can imagine the res, the end result, the end fruit of that. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's kind of like an under if you want to talk about interfaith and topics like that, you can't really discuss that until you understand the 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 absolute nature of of God and the the non difference of of Him before we can appreciate any kind of interfaith dialogue. So in the same way, it's hard to really appreciate the present moment and what that holds there without understanding the foundational evolution that, that underscores the, mm. the present. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Interfaith dialogue, another separate podcast, hopefully on its way. Probably next month we'll have a lot of that. So not to make Namrasa suffer so much, let's touch upon some of the of the details of what, what may need or should evolve. 
um, something that comes to my mind to begin with, and, it, and again, this is not only pointing to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, although it's pointing to Gaudiya Vaishnavism as well, but to any other traditions which generally share the similar shortcomings, uh, something that comes to mind to begin with, because of course there is not one single thing, but one of those will be sometimes we are quite biased in, 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 in how we present our tradition and, and conceive other traditions. Uh, I think our tradition should be humble enough to acknowledge its historical downsides mm -hmm. and not only talk about the upsides of our traditions and only the downsides of other traditions, so to say. <laughs> uh, we should be open to hear the wrongs of our past, as we were talking with Deva Madhava some time ago in our podcast. Probably the duty of our generation or of some generation sometimes is to grieve about certain things that have been done in the past. No? Like I, I can think, I don't know, I'm sorry for this example, I'm not comparing Gaudiya Vaishnavism to, to that. But Nazi Germany, you know, so all these things happen in the Holocaust. And I can imagine that probably the duty of the immediate next generation coming after that is to grieve upon such a horrible chapter of their country, so to say, or, or history, not only related to Germans, but related to what us human beings can do in our worst shadowy moments, so to say. So sometimes, again, my point is, Probably we may need to to be more honest and more sincere about our downsides as a tradition, as, as practitioners. Don't feel the urgency or the need to whitewash, as I mentioned in my book, to sanitize our history. <laughs> but actually, uh, and I'm not trying again to portray everything in ideal way, over-expected way. Everyone is a hero. Everyone is perfect. Like we were talking a few times, sometimes this need to Every guru is a need to see that. Every guru is an eternally liberated person who comes from Golok Vrindavan. Why the need of making every, everyone that perfect? Or I don't know, it can, comes to my mind in this connection. But to be not Thakur's uh, alpha biography, Swalikita Jivani, where he narrates his life with full honesty. And he mentions some things that he did before converting to Gaudiya Vaishnavism that somehow may relativize the absolute position some may have of him. And, and, and that alpha biography in many Gaudiya circles is not allowed to be read. Mm. Because you, you are not allowed to see those sides. You only have to have a very over, again, over idealized situation which creates over expectation. Mm -hmm. And I recall, yeah, Prabhupada will say, if you, are off, if you are overestimated, glorification is another form of blasphemy. <laughs> so we may be blaspheming our own tradition in the name of praising it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'd like to reflect just a little bit about what you were saying about the next generation, which is your generation, um, might need to take time to grieve. Mm. And that that does really seem um, significant, Maharaj, because if if the grieving isn't done properly, then then the opportunity for bypassing is even greater um, because what else are you going to do? You're either going to be stuck in the, the nostalgic mode and lamenting for those things that are no longer, you know, that don't exist, or you'll just bypass the whole situation and, and think about, you know, what lies on the other side of the rainbow without, mm -hmm. without actually 
um, grieving, just like if, if a person dies in your life and you don't properly grieve, then, then where's the honor also in that to honor, um, honor the past and to honor the present and to set up a, a healthier future mm. based on, on a integration, which is a, one of your favorite words, but you know, it is grieving is part of, part of integrating. And if we don't look where, how we failed, where the pain still exists, um, mm. then we won't be able to, to go forward in a healthy and vibrant way that we, that we can. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like to make it clear. Grieving is just one of the many aspects of healing. Yeah. Um, so grieving is not you're getting tamasic, you're yeah. getting in the mood of lamenting for that which is not worthy of lamentation, mm -hmm. but actually grieving means lamenting for that which is worthy of lamentation. Mm -hmm. yeah. We need to cry over and... Uh, and you said it's between blaming and denying. Hmm. There's, you had mentioned it was it's weeping, but to me weeping is, is grieving, between blaming and denying. There's grief. There's grief. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, thank you for that, for reminding me about that. <laughs> so between we, we, between blaming and denying, there is weeping, healthy mm -hmm. lamentation, grieving. Yeah, and I and I agree. I, I wouldn't say just the duty of our generation is to do that and mm -hmm. not, nobody else has to do that. I will say the yeah. duty of every single human being and human sadhaka is to, at times, yeah, learn to grieve. Uh, because if not, as you mentioned, Without grieving, there is evasiveness, there is spiritual bypassing, and there's the repetition of the past. Do it again, yeah. Mistakes of the past over and over again. So probably that's that's a good way of conceiving it. Whenever history tends to repeat itself, probably grieving was not there. Yeah. Enough, enough grieving. Maybe there was grieving, but enough grieving not only in quantity, but also in quality, you know, learning how to grieve in the progressive, dynamic way. So, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. There's one message here I'm sharing from some Facebook users. Say, God is everywhere we look, even if the shadowy parts of history. It's an interesting task to look for God everywhere we can look. It's comforting and also grounds us into the safety and home of the present moment. If God is in the shadows, then our hearts that we are trying so hard to purify can never be as bad as we feel. <laughs> hey, whomever wrote that, I don't know the name, but thank you so much. I we totally agree. Uh, and grieving, again, is a way of acknowledging, mm -hmm. including God's presence, you know, instead of uh, dismissing or, or compartmentalizing reality. Uh, and as you mentioned at the end, that, yeah, our hearts are never as bad as we fear. That, that comes to mind something that we shared a few weeks ago in connection to to the Bhagavad Gita speaking about the sadhu. What's a sadhu? What's a saintly person? And the main verse, Krishna uses the word like three times, and the main verse he uses is in the 30th verse, chapter 9, verse 30, famous verse, when Krishna is saying, according to his opinion, who is a sadhu? Sadhu Reva Samam Tabyan. He says, Apichet Sudaracharo Bhajante Mamaman Ananyabhag. And he says, if someone really misbehaves very badly, <laughs> but is sincerely determined in giving himself, herself to me, that person is a sadhu. So, so the point is, 
Okay, the comment was by Anya Like I intuited it was you, but I didn't want just to make that assumption. Thank you. So the point there was you even may misbehave a lot, but if you are honest enough to acknowledge your condition and honest enough to pursue this ideal in the context of mercy, you are a sadhu for me. So this in connection to our sometimes denial of past embarrassing mm -hmm. situations. I don't want to look at that. Let's present everything very impeccable, very saintly. But Krishna is saying in the Gita, a saintly person for me is not necessarily someone perfect or impeccable, but it may be a mess, but a, an acknowledged mess, so to say. <laughs> and, and you just brought out also about mercy. So yes, we are a mess. And in spite of that, mercy is coming. And it actually, if everything is perfect, then then how does then how is Krishna glorified in all of that? You know, mm -hmm. it's it's the mercy, it's the it's the absolute mercy that that can be appreciated when we are a mess and and things still still happen and there's we're still unconditionally loved and you know if everything is perfect then then where is the space for god to to show um his absolute compassion and and love for us mm, yeah and that comes would you say just say makes me think like probably one of the many unconscious reasons for us to whitewash our history as Gaudias, and again this happens in any other tradition is our lack of realization of this principle of unconditional mercy because if we know ourselves to be loved unconditionally by the divine we won't have a problem exhibiting acknowledging our mess individually historically collectively because we know still god is there loving us all unconditionally but the fact that we have lost sight of that takes us into this like calculative trip of trying to present everything perfect not only to the world but probably to ourselves no so everything has to be impeccable well actually there is no need to see ourselves as something we are not basically and there just need to see ourselves as who we are and how we are being accepted and loved already so I'm mentioning this because this is a crucial point. And of course, the topic of unconditional love is a whole podcast unto itself minimum. But it's quite tied to this idea of, 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 of redeeming our tradition in the present moment. And because, again, unless we look back, acknowledge whatever needs to be acknowledged in the past so we can redeem and improve and upgrade that in the present, there won't be change. And sometimes what gets in the way of that is fear, shame and willingness to to acknowledge imperfection because we still have so much ingrained maybe in our unconscious this idea of god won't love me unless i am perfect or unless i mm -hmm. show myself as such so i think that's a, an important point that we as a, a community need to also go deeper yeah and we have to behave in a certain way and and follow this and do that otherwise we won't we won't be loved there there will be a withdrawal of of love and I, there's some I, i've experienced this also um in my life there was a person that i used to know and his his mother like was would practice withdrawal of love 
as a form of, of control in, 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 in his life. Like that's how she would be able to control um, the choices he made and things by a withdrawal of love. And I think that we actually, you know, there could very well be like those under layers uh, of, of motivation. We are afraid that even if we feel that we're loved, we feel that we could become unloved if we don't, um, you know, toe the line or, or stay in line or do as we're supposed to do, then we might actually lose the love that we have. And that, and that will be the greatest possible fear for any single living entity, even if we are not consciously aware of that. Yeah. Last thing we will like will be to be unloved, as you mentioned. So, so yeah, it, it's, it's, I think it's important to fill the gaps and put the dots together and mm -hmm. for us to understand, okay, what may be taking us to our present situation, our present stance, and what would be in the unconscious creating that? And again, the, the answer to that may not be only one thing, because mm -hmm. sometimes we tend to be reductionistic and say, oh, that's happening because you are in Maya and illusion. That's happening because of ignorance. And probably all that is true, but how much we need to flesh out these definitions in order to understand who we are, where we are, where we should be. And I think that's a big import, an important part of of our duty in connection to today's title, how to upgrade our traditions past in the present moment. We need to flesh out terminology. We need, we, we need to, to become aware of the implications of the words we are using presently. And probably part of that awareness implies becoming aware of the need for new words to define our present situation, to define the world situation, or at least to redefine those very words we are already using because sometimes we may enter into autopilot in resorting to the Gaudiya glossary. <laughs> and, and for us, every word already has a very fixed meaning. And that's very problematic because words and language craft our experience, yeah. shape who we are. So I think that's an important point that maybe we can share some words on that. The important yeah, I think that's huge. Language. That, yeah, that is, that it's vital. It's vital, and and I know that I have reconceived so many concepts um, since through the radical personalism book and experience and what we went through the, over the last year, and actually starting um, a year ago when you gave a, an amazing Joppa retreat, and just even simple, I mean, like the basic things like holy name and approaching the holy name, you know, for 38 years or whatever, it's, you know, these terms, they just get, um, use the word whitewashed, but it's kind of whitewashed with our own immature conceptions. And it's not to, not to demonize, we can't be any other way but immature when we are immature. But to reconceive them and re-look at them again and what they actually mean now that we have a bit more understanding and more maturity. And um, especially when it came to the country and we just kind of slapped our understanding of, of a particular word 
on top of it. You know, like an American, an American understanding of, say, meditation. You know, but we have no idea really. Now we can reconceive what these basic concepts actually actually mean, and it's it's a whole other a whole other thing. We just laid our Christianity on top and our you know, what we even understood about Christianity had nothing really to do with Christianity. Yeah, I was going to clarify that, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I, I might have heard you say that. And, you know, so all these immature things that we, and it goes again with today's topic, how we have to be willing to look at these things again and to first know that they can and they should be redefined, to, to know that that actually, that option that reality is, is there and we should be responsible to to constantly look at it and and redefine um the the language it's it really makes a difference in how we approach things what we conceive of it and how we what we think it is it's a uh, changes how we approach it what we think about it where we want to go with it how we act towards it how we internalize it and because everything is evolving and changing, these definitions and what we conceive of them is, it's vital. It's, mm. And it's, they're huge. They start out very small and constricted, you know, by what we lay on it. But then as, if we open up and stay open, you know, then, then how we conceive of these different things is really broadens and the relationships between all these different concepts becomes more um, stable and and multifaceted and it's not just one thing anymore but it's this thing in connection to this and just becomes rich and mm -hmm. and um, multi just multi-dimensional mm. yeah yeah and I, of course we are we are saying this not only in terms of because sometimes this is another thing that personally I think we need to work on as a tradition, which is okay, we have to find new terms so we can reach people in a more up, updated way, so we can get more people in the temple or more convert converted staff people people. Uh, so we need to just update our language because of that. Yeah, so, contemporary language. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we do not engage in anachronic proselytism, so to say. <laughs> but before rushing into that and before trying to, to think only in those terms, uh, we should understand, no, actually the, the, the need for a new language and the need for a new meaning to the old language, whatever may be the case, that's new language in itself to find a new meaning to all terms. All that begins for us, with us and for us, like how the relation, the, the, the tradition remains relevant and relatable for us mm -hmm. to begin with. Because if it's not relevant or relatable for us, how, how you can expect that other people will find it relevant and relatable through you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I think that's an, an important point that it's not just in terms of, uh, sometimes it will be called a preaching strategy. So let's know which, use, which words to use so we reach the audience and they become hooked in our in our particular dogma or whatever. It's just, let's really understand that the nature, as you mentioned, the nature of reality, and that includes the nature of words, is constant unfolding and evolution. And, and every single day Krishna consciousness means something new. Mm -hmm. It must. 
Krishna is, is something new. It must he's ever ever fresh, ever new. No, Navayovanam. No, uh, so he's always becoming more Krishna. So if Krishna is always becoming more Krishna, Krishna consciousness is always becoming more Krishna consciousness, and and we should become more Krishna conscious. Mm -hmm. So becoming Krishna and becoming more Krishna conscious is not just like a, a contest. Like I have to reach that place and become more Krishna conscious. As we were talking yesterday, Krishna and Krishna consciousness is always evolving. So you can evolve along with it, but since Krishna consciousness is always evolving, you can never reach, capture it finally, and it's mm -hmm. it's over. It won't be ever more evolving anything else because I have captured you, Krishna consciousness. <laughs> so now I caught you, and nobody else will evolve anything else forever. And that sounds like hell, not like Krishna consciousness. So, so yeah, it's, it's again going back to our initial point, grasping the dynamic nature of. Of reality, and in that connection, I will I will add that our duty, as members of the tradition, as members of parampara, that's what parampara is about. It's not only let's find new words to define, to explain, to explore what's the tradition, but let's add, and, and this is intimately tied with the new language. Let's contribute with new, fresh realizations mm -hmm. to our tradition, because again. That's part of the ever-evolving, um, ever unfolding flow of Krishna consciousness. So I think that's a very important point to, again, upgrade our traditions past in the present moment. The, the duty of the present practitioners is to take from the legacy of the past, honor it, worship it, be grateful toward it. But the way you will express that gratefulness, that gratitude is by upgrading the legacy, and by mm -hmm. adding new... New realizations. Yeah, it's that's so true. Again, I love that term that Brenda Sundari used was live edge, and it's staying on that live edge and thinking and realizing where that liveness comes from, and that it's actually our responsibility and and our duty. It's not like some sage somewhere, some very advanced soul that you know is super rare it's we each have that um responsibility mm. to 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 go deeper and deeper and to keep it alive and to stay on that live edge it's it's not that um you know you have to wear a certain color or you have to have a, diff a certain title and if, if you don't then then we don't need to really stay alive and and to to connect to that to that live wire, to be the wire, actually. Um, we all have that, that duty and responsibility and opportunity and um, joy that, that can be from participating in, in the becoming of, of divinity, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate your point because sometimes I hear that so many times that someone comes with some new insight, new realization, or new proposal on the basis of the realization. And someone will say, like, who do you think you are? Prabhupada mm -hmm. Kisidanta? You, know, mm -hmm. you, you think you are on the same level as Bhakti Nottakur? Like, if only themselves were doing some contribution at that time. Mm -hmm. No, like, no, nobody else was doing that. Only the, those stalwarts are the boys that can say something. And, and and that means you 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 didn't understand what they are about because mm -hmm. as you mentioned, it's not only the guru, the acharya, the sannyasi, the temple president, the senior. Everyone has their voice and everyone 
if if one is sincere, of course, they will be they should be heard, heard, no? Especially I'm thinking about I don't know elders. If someone is an elder in a tradition, and we need definitely elders in our tradition, which is not the same as old people. <laughs> <laughs> elder means means someone who is wise enough. Uh, experienced enough who has lived his her life in such a way that the very fact that they are alive is a testament and is an inspiration and is maintaining the community by their very aliveness and presence. <clears throat> but also I will say that one of the qualities that makes an elder is they are willing to hear the newer generations. They are willing and they are capable of understanding you have something to contribute to us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a point that not only go the Vaishnavism again, other traditions, as, as I've talked with members of other traditions, but also go with the Vaishnavism, we are lacking a little bit that. Not only we are lacking elders, but we're, well, yeah, we are lacking elders in the sense we are lacking ears, elder ears that are willing to, to give credit and to hear newer generations and to, to acknowledge, okay, you have something to contribute. No? Yeah. So that's very disempowering. No, and an elder should be, on the contrary, a person who is empowering newer generations, basically. Yeah, what I'm what I'm seeing now as you're speaking, this uh, image came about, you know, we talk about the container a lot. So mm. it's kind of like, and we might change, you know, I'm just going to say this out loud and see where it goes. But like the elders are kind of help be that container. <clears throat> the... the of, of holding of holding things that were and holding things that are, but it's the the younger generation, the progressives that are pushing against the the edge of that that container and expanding with all of their youthful vigor, expanding the the perimeter of that container and and, and making it larger and dynamic and and bold. So the the, the elders can kind of guide and support and be that that loving kind of embrace as the as the youth as the as the progressive younger generations push up against that and mm -hmm. and bring it more <clears throat> into richness and more into presence <clears throat> kind of bringing the bringing the future into the present as yeah. the elders kind of hold that in place. Yeah, yeah. Because by by contrast, if you don't have that, and sorry for me to go to the negative version of it, but sometimes that reaches us better. <laughs> that if we just get stuck into old formulas and, and, and just try to copy-paste reality, so to say, that doesn't become magic. That becomes yeah. completely stagnant Dead. and, and unmystical. Yeah. And for me, there is an urge of that. I was hearing the other day an interview between one Christian monk, mystic, and, and a generation of millennials, Christians. And he will ask them, like, what's the, what's the main thing you feel coming from, from elders, so to so-called elders toward you? And they unanimously say that, that they are not hearing us enough. Now, we feel that lack of willingness to hear to learn and it's not that okay you have to learn from us we want you to learn from us not from that place but just like a, as you mentioned like a very organic and natural process where, yeah. where where the elders in a very exemplary way let go trust 
new generations and empower them in that way. And they're not clinging to a post or a nostalgic way of doing things forever. That's not very exemplary to the newer ones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but on the contrary, it's like, it's like embarrassing, I would say. So, and of course, the, the very pattern of thinking, there's no need to upgrade. There's no need to think in a new way. There's no need to use new terms, add new realization. I will call that insanity, basically, re recalling Albert Einstein's definition of that. I mean, he defined insanity, doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results. So many of these people that are not willing, and I'm not pointing at anyone, I'm just pointing to a template, which in potential all of us can fall into, <laughs> just in case. Uh, so... The idea is that sometimes we want things to remain the same. The song remains the same. <laughs> but at the same time, we, 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 we feel the need. Of, we, we demand some changes, some improvements, while at the same time trying to, to continue exporting the same pattern. So mm -hmm. that's technically speaking, that's the definition of madness. Yeah. Insanity. And we want a type of madness as our goal, the madness of divine love. <laughs> but that madness will, won't come through that other madness. On the contrary, yeah. the first madness will get in the way of our desired divine insanity, which has a lot to do with allowing things to be different and not being mm -hmm. terrified about that. Yeah, terrified about that, because it, it ties in with what you were saying, you know, about nostalgia and becoming so addicted to it. Um, mm. A lot of I, I think a lot of the addiction, you know, it, it, it could be tied to our unwillingness to to change. If we think everything was so beautiful in the past, um, let's just try to hold on to that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, try to recreate the past. And so we don't have to do anything different. We don't have to actually change and transform and become. We can just uh, be what we were. Hmm. So I th I'm kind of wondering if that's part of the of our unwillingness, um, you know. I mean, part of our nostalgia to 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 what was is our unwillingness to to look with fresh eyes and to know that that we will have to have to change. Yeah, and as you mentioned, not even is acknowledging that we have to change, but acknowledging that there is change. Yeah, true. Yeah. Something in one sense is not so much even you have to change. You have to acknowledge that there is already change in everything. Yeah, exactly. So, so, and I agree with your point. There, this unwillingness to 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 acknowledge again, not not even this unwillingness to change, but to yeah. acknowledge that there is change as the very template mm -hmm. of reality has a lot to do with, yeah, with fear of letting go, with with this illusory, like false sense of control when we mm -hmm. think we are in control and whenever we allow change to happen we are no longer in control well actually we are not in control to begin with yeah and, and this is so ingrained subconsciously as conditioned beings that's part of our work but i appreciate the, your your expression at this addicted to nostalgia that can be like the title for a movie or something <laughs> And I recall when, when talking with Richard Rohr, he will tell us, maybe you recall when we were with him in New Mexico, he will mention that all of us are addicts. I mean, someone may think, no, I don't take heroin. I follow the four regs strictly. I do not indulge in intoxication. So I'm not an addict. And he'll say, if there is one addiction that all of us embrace unanimously, it's addiction to our own thoughts. 
no, to our own opinions, addiction mm -hmm. to certain ways of mm -hmm. seeing reality. We are addicted to our own particular way of seeing everything. And nostalgia is one of those. Nostalgia is one of those patterns with we just, and, and that's technically speaking, tamaguna. That's technically speaking, not the most enlightened uh, modality of being, but, but just an insistence upon something that is no longer what it is. And, it, and therefore a denial of what is. So that's yeah. an important point for me. This nostalgia creates this pattern of denial and many times religious denial. And by mm -hmm. religious denial, I mean denial in the name of religion, using religion to deny reality and to insist upon an outdated pattern that no longer is. Yeah, and oh, like you mentioned about control, it's using religion to control um, our lives and our environment and other people. Mm -hmm. And that is like antithetical to, to spiritual life and to mm -hmm. sacredness. It's, I mean, trying oh, yeah. to use religion to control, it's, wow, it's an abomination. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, to use, as you mentioned, I will say, and that's why, but that's one of, that's one of the most comprehensive way of evasiveness. Yeah. And if you analyze history, again, it's not only about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you go through history, the worst things have been done in the name of religion, because again, religion was used as a tool for bypassing an evasiveness and justifying whatever, because of denial of what needs to take place and instead trying to impose a forced pattern or idea on, on how reality should look like, which again has all to do with keeping control. Reality should look like like this. And therefore you have, I don't know, again, Nazi Germany or the Crusades or the Holy Inquisition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So many Crusades and Inquisitions that we still engage on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, and you can see how, I mean, why it is that, they, that religion is used. It's so to our core. It's so um, inherent, our, our um, you know, because you could use something else, but they don't. It's, it's religion that's used throughout history because mm -hmm. love from divine, our relationship with, with divinity, um, perhaps in some traditions, it would be like the otherworldliness. All of eternity is riding on, on um, our participation in religion. So of course we're going to do whatever it takes to hmm. um, keep that, that alive, to keep that hope for ourselves because it's all of eternity from, from here on out. So, you know, I've experienced this also. It's like if you don't belong, if you don't fit in, then you you actually your chances of going back to Godhead are forget it. You know. So if you hold that model of of um, it in a way, it's meritocracy, but still there it it speaks of something that is that's deep. Our desire to to love and and to be loved and to have that intimate relationship with, with God. Um, so if some, if somebody, if some people, if some group of people have the power to, to um, hand that out kind of, then they really can control a lot of, yeah. of people. 
Yeah, and I think part of the duty of our our generation, and again, not only our generation, will be to, well, we to realize we allow other peoples to have that power on us. Yeah. I mean, it's we who give them the power in one sense, yeah. because if you take the proper stance, you won't be overpowered by those narratives, mm -hmm. uh, by those prospects, by those uh, systems of alienation, so to say, in which you are even alienated for eternity, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants that. So you freak out and do whatever is necessary to belong, to fit in, <laughs> because the prospect of eternal non-belonging an eternal being outcast in connection to love, that's like enough to terrify ourselves for eternity. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. And all this is happening unconsciously. That's yeah. the main thing. So it's important that we bring this unconscious uh, dynamics into the conscious realm so we realize, oh my gosh, I've been conducting myself because of this particular pattern, unconscious pattern for the last decades, lifetimes, <laughs> Not to to go to 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 kill ourselves because of that, but to celebrate. Okay, now mm -hmm. now this is coming to the spotlight. I'm becoming aware of that, and I can choose not yeah. to be overpowered, overpowered by this. Not so much overpowered by those who officially share the narrative. It's not about blaming other people, but just the particular notion, the particular idea. Probably those people are convinced of that, and that's why they are promoting those narratives. So. At the end of the day, it's about us choosing. I do not belong to that. I do not identify with that narrative. I choose you to be. I don't have to. I don't have to be disempowered. There's mm -hmm. no need to allow myself to be disempowered by others, uh, to, to cheat myself into believing whatever in this connection. So, so yeah, I, I agree. And that's a responsibility. Again, that's a personal responsibility. I choose mm -hmm. not buy into those narratives and not to be disempowered. It's not about playing the victim and blaming others. It's yeah. I have a big responsibility to become aware of that. I can't help but think of uh, Viktor Frankl when you're speaking about that. You know, he could have bought in. He could have he could have um, sided with the guards. He could have turned against his own people. He could, but he didn't buy into the whole narrative that was being presented. And mm. Um, yeah, and he had a very different experience from it. And he could, yeah, he could have even blamed God or whatever, no? Yeah. Why to allow yeah. this to happen? Exactly. So that's very, yeah, I, I always go there as a very heroic pattern of I choose not to blame anyone, but to take full responsibility about how it's up to me to discover some particular purpose and duty in this particular unique situation. No? So, mm -hmm. and it's easier said than done, <laughs> especially if you end up being in Auschwitz, but, <laughs> but on a daily basis, that's what we, what we have to do. Yeah. Again, so I think that's empowering that not only our generation, hopefully every single person now, uh, I'm not pointing here to millennials or to generation X, but to whoever is alive hearing these words or of feeling these things, it's yeah. We have a big responsibility to take a particular stance in which we choose. I mean, at the end of the day, we we have permission to to decide. We we can give ourselves permission to feel for ourselves, to to pay attention to our gut, and to realize that 
going one minute to the point of nostalgia. No, nostalgia is not it's not the only currency in the market, so to say. It's not the only way to belong. On the contrary, it's the last way to belong. And, and, and what to speak when sometimes this happens, that people not only somehow promote nostalgia or emphasize nostalgia, but institutionalize nostalgia mm -hmm. as a superlative kind of faith. No? Mm -hmm. Unless, if you don't glorify the past acharya or the past whatever happened in the past, as the topmost thing that ever happened, you that shows that you don't have enough faith. So sometimes there is this kind of fear, there is this kind of manipulation. Nostalgia is institutionalized as a superlative kind of faith, which, as I put in my book, that constitutes an entire insult to the whole spiritual practice at, the, at our own tradition and the past, the heroes of our past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, it kills it. There's no... Where's the vine? Where's the creeper? Where is it supposed to creep if we just keep turning it, turning backwards? There's no development, there's no growth. Where, how can bhakti spread herself and, and, and develop if, if we just keep pruning, like you use the example of the bonsai, if we keep pruning and cutting back, that's nostalgia. That's keeping mm -hmm. it small. That's going backwards. Let's cut off the new growth. You can't have that here. Cut off the new growth. And that is, I don't know why I thought of this word twice today, but that's like an abomination. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's so contrary. And the we as go in the name of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, trim the creeper. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mahaprabhu gave the very yeah, Mahaprabhu gave the analogy of the creeper and he mentioned we are supposed to to water the creeper and to and to trim the weeds that grow around it in the name of the creeper, which is what we are talking here. But sometimes we end up watering the weeds and trimming the creeper. Exactly. You know? yeah. So so that's very 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 interesting that you mentioned the the point of the, the example of the vine, because Mahaprabhu himself, for some reason, is employing that particular uh, analogy. analogy. No? Like, mm -hmm. And of course, the creeper is dynamic. It's not that, okay, at one point it gives the fruit and it's over, it dies. A yeah. creeper is always giving fruits over and over again. But again, yes, you invoke the idea of bonsai, Gaudiya, Vaishnavism, no? we, in the name of taking care of the plant, we are actually keeping it smaller and smaller or shaping it according mm -hmm. to our own exactly. uh, personal sense of aesthetics. Now, mm -hmm. I want the, the tree to look like that because I like it, but mm -hmm. you are constantly suffocating its growth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important also because sometimes in, as I, I mentioned in, in the book, Radical Personalism, whatever nourished us at some point, at some other point may suffocate us. And and it's it's not that it's not that we are insulting the past by acknowledging that it's just how things we're growing. Is that what it means? Yeah, it's, a, it's an occasion of celebration. Yeah, we are growing. So therefore, what inspired my faith on day one may choke my faith on day hundred and eight, so to say. But I'm I'm not denying that day one. Actually, if I am on day one hundred and eight, it's because of day one. So I'm acknowledging day one. I'm acknowledging that function. I'm praising it, but at because of that, I'm 
moving forward, so to say. Yeah. All the 107 days that preceded the 108th day, they're all there. Yeah. All necessary, yeah. every step. Yeah, they are not rejected. They are integrated as part of a new equation, of a new expression of it. Yeah. But again, we don't need to reject that, but we don't need to go back to them mm -hmm. uh, as if there are no further possibility of further numbers, so to say. Yeah, that's that's the importance and the beauty of integration because it's not rejection. We don't, mm -hmm. we aren't denying. We're actually incorporating all of those beautiful moments that have shaped shaped us to this to this point. It's not a rejection, exactly. which is what some um, people how they could choose to see it. If you mm -hmm. don't honor the acharyas in this way, then you're rejecting. No, actually. It's an it's an honoring it's a it's a glorifying them because because of the growth that we are experiencing it's all it's built on on all of that and bringing all of that forward it's mm -hmm. it's not um, disconnected yeah it. it's, it's all yeah. positive and that's a very spirit of parampara because sometimes some people may think we still have Prabhupada say that. To refer to a particular institution, of course, in other institutions, they may say, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati say that, Jesus Christ say this, whatever. But the real question is not so much to give back, go back to my example, what Srila Prabhupada said, but what he will be saying now. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but to get to the point of, okay, whatever he will be saying now, we are supposed to be saying it. <laughs> that means parampara. Yeah. We are supposed to represent the voice of the past Right. in the present moment so that's our commitment i mean and i can only uh, enter into that place by properly being properly wired connected to that voice from the past properly right. appreciating that properly honoring that in a way that i will be empowered i'll align with that voice so whatever needs to be said in the present will be said through me exactly by, by the grace of those past heroes in service right. to them yeah to, exactly and that again that ties back with what we were saying at the beginning is the past um you know the circumstances that we are experiencing now it's it's our it's our responsibility to to hear actually what was being said not just the words but consider it in that time what did that mean what did he mean by that to those particular people and and to to up grade our understanding of that into this time to integrate it now into who I am to mm -hmm. who we are um, and that is that's how we honor the past is to bring it into the present in, in a way that nourishes the and sets up the path for, for the future yeah. yeah I always recall there was one devotee in Argentina I think I shared that a few times that she told me I was like 15 years ago like Marash, I just would like to go back to what I experienced of the first days during Krishna consciousness. Now, basically, what Bishwanachakaratakur may call Utsahamayi, like the initial mm -hmm. enthusiasm. And of course, I appreciated the point, but also I felt I don't want to go there. Not because I hate that I, I had a traumatic experience myself, not because of that, because I hadn't, but because it was so nice that now it should be nicer because it was so nice. So my way of honoring that experience is by making it better. What's, what's the title of today's podcast? Upgrading the past, not because the past was ugly or bad, but because 
it can always become better because again, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, things can always get better. Things are always changing and evolving. So, so yeah, it's, I always give the example of the diapers. If I tell my mom, mom, it was so beautiful when you were changing my diapers when I was three months old. I'm, I'm longing so much. I have so much nostalgia. I would like that to be back again. Let's do it again. So beautiful. And my mom will send me to, to therapy probably <laughs> if she loves me. <laughs> so she will tell, yeah, it was beautiful, but it will be dysfunctional to try to impose that template in the present situation. Now we are ready for a new relationship. We are Now we are ready for a hopefully deeper, more mature way of engaging with each other. And that's the same thing with Parampara. I'm not saying that what Prabhupada gay, gay was in diapers. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just saying We were though. <laughs> of course. You know, hopefully with diapers. Sometimes <laughs> just naked and we're not wilder. <laughs> but the point is that the nature of the gift is constantly again evolving. Yeah. So there's something that now Ross is saying that uh, here I would like to share in connection just to clarify. He's saying, I don't think appreciating nostalgia and allowing proper new growth is are mutually exclusive. So I will say again, it all depends how we understand nostalgia. When I when we are saying nostalgia here, it has to do, and, and if you go to the definition of the word, it has to do with like a sentimental longing uh, uh, for, for the past. No, so we are not against appreciating the past, loving the past, glorifying the past, going there, but there is a, Again, if we properly do that, it has to create proper growth. Mm -hmm. So if proper growth is not there, probably a good question is how we are dealing with the past, how we are expressing our appreciation for the past. So that was the main point. We are not against about getting together and let's remember what happened 20 years ago. But also that appreciation, at least in my opinion, has purpose only if we are in a better place now. Yeah. Because if not, we are using that as a, evasive mechanism to run away from the present and just over glorify the past uh, and how beautiful it was because we are embarrassed to acknowledge that we have not made what what we needed to do to be where we are now in the present so yeah i have a an, a, a memory of an example comes to mind is <clears throat> i used to work at the archives the bhaktivedanta archives and um we so we supplied images, photographs for different projects that people were doing. Hmm. And so often it would be a contemporary um, article or a contemporary book or something. But to find, and this was at that time, to find happy devotees, we had to go like far back in, in the archives and bring out these old nostalgic um, photos which I, I thought were like, this kind of struck me, like we have to return to the past to, to find that um, happiness because we haven't actually brought that with us into the, into the present. You know, we want to find things that are happy. Let's go to the past as opposed to, well, why aren't, why can't I take contemporary photos now of happy devotees? Where where is that? Why is there a difference? So I think sometimes if we <clears throat> are satisfied with the archived photos, then 
we kind of miss out on what's going on here. And why isn't it like that? Why, why don't we have that initial enthusiasm? Every day is, is a new day. It's initially, this is something, something new. Why do I not feel that excitement? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we want to return to it in the past, but why haven't I brought that, that with me? So I think that's kind of like a bypassing going backwards, sort of not just bypassing into the future, but bypassing backwards, stepping aside from what's actually going on hmm. right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, we are so expert at bypassing so that we can project that to the past, to the future, to the present. It's 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 okay, no problem. <laughs> And I will say, since you invoke bypassing, something else that comes to mind, another way in which we can be very bypassy is like, okay, we have a very rich, a theologically rich tradition, very deep, very detailed, very unique. I mean, very de defined, very interesting. But, but a way of bypassing and a way of, again, not upgrading our tradition to the present moment is how much we are diving into that ourselves, how much we are embodying the, the supremacy of our theology, so to say, because even there may be other traditions that which may not be as theologically rich as ours. Many of the practitioners of these other traditions, in effect, are going deeper <laughs> into their practices, into their introspection, into their self-criticism uh, than sometimes we may be going with, although we have the potential to do that, but we may be resting in the glories of the mm -hmm. past again or, or or in the again rich theologically richness we may have and and, and of course that will may feel a sense of moral superiority uh, spiritual privilege you no know, we are we belong to such a refined glorious tradition because we did this or i belong to this institution in which this happened mm -hmm. and it fosters this sense of it's another way of spiritual bypassing and evasiveness like religious exceptional exceptionalism, not like we are exceptionally unique and we are superior. And again, still, it's the same pattern. It's spiritual bypassing, evasiveness, uh, feeling ourselves superior to others as a way of not having to do yeah. the actual thing we need to do to be where, where we need to be, basically. You know? Yeah, it's the word that comes, hearing you say that, the word that comes to mind is... Um, participating you know in in the present we don't we we kind of for, forget to, that we're participants here mm. and and to participate fully and on a on a deep level and looking into the past we can't really participate in the past we're not going mm. to have much of a future to, if we don't participate now mm. so it's a that might be part of bypassing is forgetting that we're actually participants yeah and probably that's why we may not be feeling ourselves part of something yeah. you, know, you don't feel part of a movement or whatever because you are not participating exactly and participating again it's not just a bodily presence on a sunday feast or some mm -hmm. like institutional affiliation but it's an mm -hmm. inner thing it's again mahaprabhu sankirtan is a participatory movement mm -hmm. as i like to put in my book we belong to a movement but a movement means not bricks and walls and papers, but it's something needs to be moving. And already, again, as we mentioned, reality is moving, reality is changing and flowing, but how much we are standing against the current and not moving ourselves. So mm -hmm. 
to the point of we are not moving, we are not feeling ourselves probably part of that movement. Yeah. So Yuvak Taras mentioned the, the idea of present just a few times throughout the class and, and the, 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 the meeting, not the class, our conversation. So since, of course, the title of the podcast is Upgrading Our Traditions Past in the Present Moment, I think we can get to the conclusion of our meeting. We have time still, but delving a little bit into this idea of present and presence, <laughs> no? because I think it's also very important to redeem our current situation, appreciating the present and uh, and being present in the present. Like I, I like to make the play of words. That's the best present you can give to yourself, to be present in the present. Because everything is already present in the present. But the point is, are we present? Now, where is our presence in the presence? So I don't know if you have any thoughts regarding this point of present moment. And what's present? Well, I can't help but divide the word up and just kind of look at the word. Mm. Present is pre-sent. Mm. You know, so it's even even the present it has both aspects sent is like a past term something mm. that's already happened and mm. pre is something that happened hasn't happened yet so mm. it's kind of interesting how um because i i do i feel that the that the present moment actually does contain you know like they say that you can fit I don't know, there's some term about fitting a thousand angels on the head of a pin, something like that. So it's kind of like the present moment contains all the time that ever was and mm. all the time that will be. It, it, it exists right here because that's what the present is. It's all of the past come together. You know, we are who we are right now in our present moment because of all of the moments that we've had in the past and and coming from this present moment will be all of our future moments right from this point in time hmm. so to open ourselves up to all that is right now is it's potentially incredibly beautiful and <clears throat> yeah just the potential and all that ever was is right here at this point in time. So the per yeah, present moment is the per perfect point, so to say, to for any possible growth, evolution, unfolding. Not only the perfect point, but the only possible one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I appreciate. I also I also used to make that point without you knowing that, but many times about how the present includes both past and future in it. Because again, as you mentioned, the present is the unfolding of the past and whatever will happen in the future depends on what we choose to do in the present moment. So, so all the different past, future, present, ten, all the tenses are included yeah. in, the, in this present moment. Mm -hmm. So life happens in the present moment. Krishna exists eternally in the present. He's an eternally present person. So of course, we can only connect with reality uh, in the present moment. So, and I'm mentioning this because, of course, we were talking about nostalgia and how being trapped in the past can be a problem. And, of course, I will say one big antidote to, to this toxic nostalgia will be 
to having the courage of being in the present, which of course may be terrifying for many of us for more reasons that we can tell. But one of those we already mentioned, probably to fully situate ourselves in the present means basically to acknowledge whatever is happening at this precise moment, whomever I, I am at the precise moment. And sometimes we are not very happy with who we are now. We, are, we have tons of self-rejection and self-loathing. So we don't want to see ourselves in the present, but just escape to other tenses, future, past. Uh, and that's, again, maybe probably because we are not fully aware of how we are already being radically accepted and unconditionally mm -hmm. loved by Bhagavan. No, so that, that makes us not being willing to face the present. We feel it too too challenging and too unbearable because we still are probably not fully ripe. We are relat relatively raw, <laughs> yeah. but we miss the, the fact that we are being fully accepted. So to be aware that we are fully accepted may give us further courage to fully inhabit present moment. Yeah, it's, it's true. And... I, I I think that 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 does play in play into not being present is the fact that we don't accept um, that we're being loved right now unconditionally and mm -hmm. and I have to, I'm going to have to do something to to quote unquote earn that love um, to become quote unquote worthy of that love in the future in the future. Yeah. It's not happening yet in the present. I'm not being loved in the present. So, yeah, that's a complete distortion, just guys, for you to know. <laughs> in, in any tradition, if you feel God doesn't still love me, I'm not being loved. So, I have to make myself through and get and earn that at some point and deserve probably even that distortion may come in the future. We, we, we push all that into the future, and that future never happens because it will only happen as much as we. Beginning now. now, yeah. Here, Mirabai, Mirabai is sharing a concept in this connection. I'm thinking about how Lila, or the divine play of God, is going on all the time in the present moment. Krishna isn't nostalgic, just reminiscing or and remembering the good old days. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. That's completely true. When we hear the descriptions of the Lila, they are not like going back to what happened two years ago, eternity ago. <laughs> Two seconds ago, there's too many exciting and interesting things to do in the present as to just remain going back and looking back and looking back. So, and again, that's how eternity plays out. And she also adds there, and or talking about what's yet to come. He seems to be the epitome, epitome, sorry, of being in the present. Yeah, as I mentioned before, God lives eternally in the present moment. So he's the very personification. Of that, and if we want to relate with such a person as hopefully we want, that can only happen in the present moment. You can only connect with God in the present moment. If you go into a nostalgia agenda, Krishna won't be there in one sense. I mean, you can only find God in the past as long as the past is is informing your presence. So mm -hmm. you, know, you are not like cutting the two of them like separate things, because if not. Krishna is not there. Krishna is eternally in the present moment. So, so yeah, if we want to relate with him as we should, hopefully we want, we have to understand that. That can only happen in the present, and I can train myself for that relationship here and now in the present. That's always an important point. 
whatever we <clears throat> we have heard, we we may say about God and the spiritual world and our relationship with Him. This is the training, the training whatever area domain for that to happen. So we will demon demonstrate that we want to go there. Uh, as long as we, we will be demonstrated that parallel as according to how much we are doing that now. Yeah, fleshing it out now. Yeah. So if that love is eternally in the present there, how much I'm living my life eternally in the present moment here. If I'm not making a, an effort to do so, indirectly I'm saying I'm not interested in, in whatever is going on there in the eternal present. So we need to stop contradicting ourselves in, those yeah. sense, in that sense. And, and I put myself first in that list for sure. And we don't live our lives that way in 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 ordinary senses we don't think oh i i want to become a doctor so i'll sit here in my room and watch netflix you know we prepare now as much as we can right now what can i do now hmm. to 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 be that that now and we surround ourselves with people um who will you know facilitate facilitate that and it's not that we're just like pushing it off to the to the future, nor are we denying um, denying that desire also. But right now, what can I do as as much as possible? How can I say yes to that right right now? Like in the book, in your book, and you said many times, I forget who this is. It might be Frankel again, but how God comes disguised as our life. Mm, no, someone else. Uh, what's her name? Uh, it's a lady. I cannot recall her name now, but it's a contemporary author. Yeah. Okay. And like that, you know, if, if we think we want God, well, this is how this is how God is coming right now. If I deny right now, how much do I really want that? Mm -hmm. So, in, in the present, that's. Mm -hmm. You also say it too about. Um, constantly arriving that's what the present is it's constant arrival mm -hmm. right now it's mm -hmm. the the future coming to the right now where we are and that's a lot to do with radical personalism yeah yeah it's not as we mentioned it's not getting somewhere but continuing to arrive mm -hmm. yeah here Ras says yes but that's lila that's different <laughs> today Ras is playing the purba pakshi <laughs> meaning today yeah, <laughs> too much radical anti-nostalgia. <laughs> He's laughing in that. Yeah, I mean, that's Lila, but Lila is the goal to attain, and, and Lila is something that you start to participate gradually. It's not something entirely different from where we are, because if not, we create this, like, dualistic dichotomy, like, that's Lila, and that this is something different. And that's, a, for me, that's a very problem that we create. Okay, God's there in heaven doing Lila. And we are here on, on conditional life. That's completely different. There's an abyss in between. But the way you reach Lila, the way you enter Lila is right here, right now, by gradually starting to participate in Lila. It's not that you, you are completely out of that divine play and suddenly you find yourself fully into it. It doesn't happen like that. It's a gradual participation as we were talking before and that gradual participation begins here now and at one point you will become so enlightened that we hear of these great sages that still are embodied so to say in this planet earth but internally they are participating in lila 
So I think that's it's very important. And then there's not radical anti-nostalgia <laughs> again. It's I will I will suggest that also we pay attention why we get triggered by hearing these topics. But <laughs> I mean I have nothing against appreciating the past, but again, it has to be a practical appreciation. If the as long as your appreciation of your past translates into present commitment uh, and proper realistic prospect into the future, I have nothing against that. Again, as long as we integrate past with present and future, that's okay. I'm just saying the problem with nostalgia and past is when you get stuck in it and when we lose, we will lose the sense of present participation and future future to say prospect and in that connection i like to conclude with this notion that i also quote in my book of prophets that our sampradaya is a living school of prophets and also i'll speak in terms of anticipatory gaudiya vaishnavism since we talk about the power the past and the present let's let's make full circle by touching up on the future a, a, a moment so i think it's very important that the word prophet means someone who speaks for in the name of and also some because sometimes prophets we we relate them with, they are making a prophecy. They are, how do you say in English, like foretelling? Mm -hmm. yeah. They're like foretelling, telling the future. But it's not that they have some like magical, magical, whatever, it's, power it's to see that. As I read something recently that I think Dr. Ras also shared with me, it's not about foretelling, but forth, forth telling. No? Like a prophet is actually, that actually so attuned to the present that has a proper... A vision of understanding of how, ideally, God God's will is to be to unfold into the future. So that person will speak. They are not, in one sense, they are not predicting something with some magic ball in front of them. But actually, they are speaking with speaking with such a forwardness and commitment and a present alignment to truth that people will say, "Oh, a prophet foretold that." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in that sense, we are all meant to become prophets. It's not just for Shaktivis avatar or need to see that descending people, but every member of a Sampradaya, Parampara, is potentially uh, to be a prophet. That's, that should be our contribution to the lineage. Yeah, and I wonder also, Maharaj, if seeing, being able to see patterns and again, um, being aware and being able to distill out of a circumstance what mm. what is actually going on there what is the the basis of reality in this particular circumstance and then being able to translate that that reality and speak the reality into the the current moment that might then seem um prophetic but it's actually namrasa this might make you feel better it's actually about going to the past and and drawing out those those lessons and what what was the the essence of mm. what was happening there and and then bringing that essence into 3d in this in this moment that um might be yeah. part of the the prophet yeah, yeah i like what you mentioned that the importance of learning from the past because appreciating the past is not just glorifying the past but learning from the past and extracting lessons that are relevant in the mm -hmm. present. Because mm -hmm. you can say in the past, Kijai, glories to that, that was beautiful, and it was. But learning from the past implies extracting some particular mm -hmm. content and insect that is necessary at present. So in that sense, again, past is necessary. Mm -hmm. 
and that eventually translates into into what the what's the future requirement for that uh, yeah. so yeah we we are meant to be prophets because i mean without the word the voice of a prophet without a prophetic voice so to say any tra spiritual tradition may end up being just a legitimation of the status quo, so to say. Yeah. No, that's there's it. No there's no live edge. There's no live edge. There's no life. There's no current. No, you have a you have a ring there, Bacteras. Tell us about your ring in connection to the well, live live was, wire, live edge. You took it out. I was playing with it and I dropped it and it went oh, somewhere. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. <laughs> I okay. thought that was a good important note to conclude about <laughs> yeah. yeah about yeah all what we are talking about prophets speaking clearly and powerfully and in yeah. all time place or circumstance and again anyhow a life current uh, because you made this point with the since I say current you you want you suggested remember this idea of naming the podcast keeping the current current yes which I I I mean I appreciate all the within you said the name we may maybe not easily grasped, but I want to invoke that idea before going to your ring. This play of words, no current and current. No current can be both an adjective as a noun. No, so how to keep our current, our Gaudiya current, current, no, alive. Yeah. So live wire, back to rest is yeah. ring. Let's go there. Yeah. So this morning it came that you know, like an electric wire, it's it's covered, it's coated with an insulation. So I was thinking, well, what is that insulation? It's, it's, it's our conceptions and it's our, our thoughts and our structure, our conceptual framework. And it's also our trauma and things that we, we coat ourselves with, things that we use to protect ourselves. Um, but what it's, but what is inside that insulation is the live wire. There's, yeah. is, and that is, if we want to stay live and touch that live wire, we have to go through those different layers of insulation and just um, get, get rid of them really. So this, I went into a drawer and I found an electric wire and I stripped, it's called stripping. So I stripped the coating off of it and got, um, copper wire to kind of remind myself that yeah then and we're not the we're not the current and we're not the message but we are a participant in all of that and and the more we can can strip away the insulation then then the more we can be alive and carry that 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 transmission um, of the of of divinity and into our present moment. Hmm. Thank you. Beautiful. I really appreciate it. Can you give us the version of your ring that you found just to... I showed it when you were looking somewhere else. There it is. Thank <laughs> you so much. That's a very embodied way of personifying what we have been trying to talk about today. So I really appreciate it. Can I have one other thing also? There's yeah. Whatever also, you want. Also, sure. I was thinking, also woven into the pattern of the ring is... Um, is a spiral and it, it came uh, up too while you were speaking earlier. And and I often think about the stages, you know, the Utsuma Mayi and Utsaha Mayi and things that, because I find myself coming back to those again and again. 
Hmm. But it's in a very different different way. It doesn't it doesn't mean the same the same thing. It's not at the same level. So I can't help but see that it's actually that our progress is in a spiral, and we might come back to those same um, points, those same lessons, those same things that we need to to experience. But it's going to be in a very different different way, and that's about updating and and upgrading also to recognize, yes, I might come back to the same thing, but it, but I'm coming back as a different person and I'm coming and I'm, I'm not who I was before. Therefore, the lesson that is held by this particular experience that's coming around again, I can learn more and I can go deeper and I can open myself up more to mm. that. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah. And I think that gives a whole completely whole different paradigm of how spiritual progress takes place, no? Because sometimes we tend to conceive it in linear terms. So we think, okay, I already went through this particular stage. So it's not supposed to re come back again to my life. And if it come back, comes back, we may think of get affected. Oh, I'm going backwards. Yeah. I must be doing something wrong. And we may be just chastise ourselves so mm -hmm. much while actually we are making progress in spiritual terms. Yes. Yeah. Spiral terms, sorry, yeah. I meant. So I think that's a very crucial point for us to know so not to get discouraged unnecessarily <laughs> and understand how actual uh, spiritual progress takes place you know, mm -hmm. in this spiral dynamics, which I totally agree with. So thanks so much, Makhtaras. Any final thoughts you may like to share or that was the spiral was a very high I feel, point? I feel complete. Okay, okay, thank you so much. So again, deep gratitude to Bhaktarasadas, deep gratitude to all of you connected. I will be sharing one more time for those who just connected after our beginning, the contact of Bhaktarasa for those who would like to delve deeper into her contribution. It's the mail, the email is bhaktarasa.scs at gmail.com. <clears throat> uh, and we'll be concluding here, but before that, I would like to announce next Saturday will be August 26th. We'll be doing the show one hour later than usual because I will be in California, so there will be some change of timing. So it will be at 11 a.m. EDT time. Next Saturday, we will be having as our guest, Dania Dasi, a very, very interesting person, as you will see. And we will be talking with her on the topic of integration through relationships, continuing with this very interesting and pervading team in this month inviting different Vaishnavas. So anyhow, thank you so much again. And uh, hope to see you next uh, next Saturday, basically. Thank you, Maharaj. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for the invitation that keeps evolving and open to us all. <laughs>